Welcome to this week's episode of the Warrior Way podcast. We sat down on a Saturday morning with a person who we've heard her name numerous times throughout our experience with this podcast, Carla Midland. Um, Carla is a previous administrator at Washington High School, uh, former longtime educator in the Sioux Falls School District, and we also got to hear about her journey into education as well as her journey through a very, very influential um, short time period at Washington where uh, we had to fight to keep our warrior name. So Grant, what'd you take away from Carla? Well, the biggest thing, like you said, heard her name a ton. It was great to finally meet her. And I mean, I can see why people love her and everything, like just a great conversation and all that. And the thing that I love the most, and you mentioned it about that brief time where she had to fight to keep the warrior name is now a lot of things that I like had heard makes sense and I know why now our circle of courage is so important and why it's important that we tell and share these stories as well about it. And every episode, um, as you who listen to this podcast know, we really hit on the circle of courage, one or more of its pillars, and it was cool today to sit down and talk with a person who made the pillars. Um, Obviously, numerous various inputs went into the creation of the circle of courage and its pillars but she was the one who kind of time stamped it and um, now it lives on um, on all of our apparel and in our in our teachings at Washington and it was really cool just to hear that firsthand perspective of how it was created and what it means to be a warrior Um, so we hope you enjoy this episode Um, here's Carla Midland Welcome to another episode of the Warrior Way podcast. This week, we are excited to bring you a special guest who it seems like in our 37 episodes, um, names come up uh, through various episodes, and this name has come up numerous times, and we are lucky that she took the time to come in on a Saturday morning and spend some time with us. We are joined by fellow or former administrator, Carla Midland. Carla, thank you so much for coming on the Warrior Way podcast. Happy to be here. So this morning, uh, Grant and I have done a little homework for this one because it's a it's a big one that we want to take away and learn from. I actually brought my handy dandy uh, note taking notebook to take some notes down eventually. Um, but we always start out with we want the guests to get to know you a little bit, and I am just as eager to learn about you as a teacher and administrator and as a person for Washington High School this morning as anybody. So, Carla, I would just like to start by um, who is Carla Midland and, and um, you know, how did you start your journey into education? Well, I grew up in Yankton, South Dakota, and I went to Yankton High School and Yankton College. And when I graduated from college, uh, my goal was to go to the Peace Corps. And so I worked for a year, and then uh, while they did all the paperwork and got all those things online, and then wound up in Philadelphia for my training, and in the, about two-thirds of the way through our training, there was the war in Biafra. If you know where Biafra is, is part of Nigeria or was part of Nigeria. And there was a huge civil war. So they canceled all people coming in and out of the country. And so the whole program was canceled. So they said, you have a choice. You can go back home or you can stay here and sit around until we find something else. Well, by then it was, okay, home looked pretty good. So I went back home again, and it was in October. So there weren't a lot of teaching jobs that were open at that time, but I had a friend who knew people who ran the St. Mary School for Indian Girls in Springfield, South Dakota. It was a boarding school for girls from all across the country, 
and they were needing a teacher. So I drove down to Springfield, lived in the dorm with the girls, and taught classes, including Saturday morning study halls, and you ate breakfast with the girls, and it was total immersion. But I learned a lot, and I think that's where my interest in Native American history was really piqued because the girls themselves knew very little about it. So I wound up teaching Native American history, which was kind of odd. But it was interesting, and I really enjoyed it. I spent one year there, and then I went to Whittier. And I spent 17 years at Whittier Middle School, taught English, taught social studies, did the school newspaper, the school yearbook, little annual thing that they did and met a lot of great people and decided I needed a new challenge. And so I applied at Washington and moved to the old Washington High School where I taught for several years, taught English and taught uh, history. And a friend and I decided that uh, Washington also needed an American Studies program. So we designed an American Studies program borrowing some things from Lincoln and creating some things of our own. And we taught American Studies for several years in the old building and then in the new building when we came here. And then I also became a coordinator for at-risk students. I've always had a real interest in kids who struggle for whatever the reasons might be. So we created the STARS program. I got a grant from the state of South Dakota, and that provided us the money that we needed to begin this program. And we were in the old building for a couple of years, and then it carried over into the new building. And eventually now it kind of has morphed into the at-risk program that I forget the name of it that you run now at Washington. The that, Tier 2 Behavior Program? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Pride. And, yeah, and so th that was a, a really good experience, and we had a lot of kids who really, really were well served by the teachers in that program, and we had some real dedicated teachers. I can remember the one year when the first class of STARS students graduated from Washington, and as I was standing up on stage next to the school board member passing out diplomas, and one of the students walked by, turned around, came back, stood in front of me and said, if it wasn't for you and pride, I wouldn't be graduating today. That I mean, that did everything, you know. I mean, that really touches your heart and it makes everything worthwhile. Wow, Carla. So there is so much to unpack in that little <laughs> two. Okay, so I want to go back. The first question I had that I wrote down, where is Springfield, South Dakota? Oh, it's just um, about Does a half it exist hour. anymore? <laughs> it does exist, <laughs> but there's not much there. It's about a half an hour from Yankton. And there was a college there at one time. Springfield had a college there. Really? Yeah. Okay. And it has disappeared, as has most everything. And I know when we took the girls once a week, they would get a little trip downtown. Downtown was like, you know, one block <laughs> with, you know, maybe a, a restaurant and one store. You know, but, yeah. I know that all too well. I grew up in Langford, South Dakota, which you, uh, <laughs> like I say, you have a post office, you have a bank, and yep. you have a, have a yep. bar and something else, and that's about it. So. Yep. Okay, and then the next part I want to get to is we had one of our last, the last guests that we had last season was Jeff Herbert. He talked, we actually met at Old Washington. We did okay. the recording there, and if you know Jeff, he is um, a fanatic about talking about Washington High School, yes. and especially the Old Washington. So give me some of your best memories of Old Washington and tell me, you know, who is, who is, it, who is the administration there when you started teaching downtown um, and just the overall feel of the school setting in the downtown Sioux Falls area. Okay, uh, Caselli, Mr. Caselli was the principal at Washington at that particular point in time, and there's there's no school ever that has the same feeling as the old Washington High School did. It was just like a, a tradition that went on forever, and you know it was the first high school, first school in Sioux Falls, and has a lot of history to it and a lot of steps to it. And I taught on the fourth floor, so I I remember you know you didn't go out or go down at any time except when you had to leave at the end of the day because you walk up the steps and you spent your whole day upstairs and nobody wanted to go down and have to come back up again. 
Uh, but and I remember these big, they're huge, big glass trophy cases right outside where the office is or was. And I remember coming down the stairs one day, and there were two kids just going at it. Two guys are having this a, a great fight out there, and you, you all that glass, you know, and they're throwing each other around, and yeah, that's pretty scary. And I just yelled, I thought, "What else do you do?" So I just yelled, and they both it scared them, so that you're, you know, they stopped and separated. But yeah, there are just lots of great stories there. You knew sometimes that, uh, you know, we didn't lock doors all the time when we were at the old Washington, and sometimes you had a surprise in the morning when you walked in and there was someone who had camped out in the bathroom overnight, you know, and so there's just, you know, lots of, of instances like that, but it was a great school and, and people, you know, the Washington staff was always really, really close. Not everybody always agreed with everybody else, but you would defend each other to the, to the nth degree. And there's just a lot of real loyalty and a lot of, um, of camaraderie, and it was just a nice feel to it. It felt like home. So what was the transition like in the time period where old Washington then transitioned to the current building that we're sitting in now? What was that time period like and what was your role through that time of going from old Washington to new Washington? Well, at that time I was, uh, we had started the STARS program and so I was the, the coordinator for that, but I was still teaching American studies as well. And it was, it was really difficult because it was difficult for kids to make the choice. Some of those kids, the kids were going to be seniors. Do I stay at Washington? Do I move? You know, most of the seniors stayed. But the other kids uh, who went to Link or went to uh, the new Roosevelt, you know, it, it really cleared out the halls at Washington and our population dropped considerably. And I remember it was the year that we were supposed to get new uniforms for our band. And it we said, we don't want to use this year because then we're going to be stuck with the small band number of uniforms that we have. And next year, hopefully, we would have a much bigger or much bigger band when we moved into the new building. So they just dressed in white shirts and, and black slacks for a year. And we got through that. But it, it really had an impact. But everybody bonded, and it was a great transition. And I can remember one of the kids, when he walked through the doors of the New Washington High School, turned around, and Jan and I were standing there, and she was principal then, and looked at us and said, wow, you mean they built this for us? And just, you know, an amazing feeling, because when you go from a really old building, especially for kids, I think, you know, and you walk into a brand new building, it was pretty exciting. So the transition was really pretty smooth. So, excuse me. So you talk about transitioning with that. So you were a teacher at that point. Can you talk about your transition from when you decided you wanted to become more of a leader and into the principal aspect? Okay. Well, at the old Washington, Jan, Jan Nicolai was a legis state legislator at that time. So she was gone like three months out of the year. And the last year that we were at the old, no, second to last year we were at the old building, she uh, called me in and said, will you be interested in taking my spot filling in as an administrator when I'm gone? Because she always has someone who did that. And I said, yeah, you bet. <laughs> so I did, and I filled in there. And then when I came to the new Washington for the next uh, couple of years until I became assistant principal, I filled into that spot also. And I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I always enjoy a challenge. And I don't like doing the same thing forever, and I need change. And I, you know, I usually have a lot of different ideas. Maybe not all of them are so good, but at least they're ideas to get things started. And you know, I, I like working with kids. I like working with with the teachers. So it, it was just kind of a natural fit for me. So when I'm going to go back a little bit. So back to your stars at risk teaching experience. I myself was the tier two coordinator for the last seven years here at Washington, the Pride program. And hearing you say you like challenge, um, I also like challenge. And some days I question in there whether <laughs> I was crazy or if I enjoyed what yeah. I was doing. Um, and I, like you also, 
there comes a point when you're just ready for something new. Um, you know, was there ever points, and I have to think it's true, I, I just feel like that position is, is there gets a point where you almost burn out a little bit. You're just kind of ready for something new. What were your favorite experiences in that role as, a, as an at-risk teacher or coordinator? Um, and then what would you tell somebody that's going through days when you question whether or not <laughs> that position is for you or not? Well, there were, there were a lot of challenges, and sometimes it's the parents that are more of a challenge than the kids, you know, and getting them to buy in. But, you know, we met with the parents, and I think the more face-to-face -face kinds of things that you do with the parents and get them involved, because many of them just feel uncomfortable in school because it probably wasn't their favorite thing when they were there either. And it's just a matter of getting them acclimated to be a part of the whole thing and have the kids knowing that the rules are the rules and we're gonna do everything we can do to bend over backwards to help you, but there comes a point where if you're not gonna take advantage of it, there's a whole line of kids who would like to. Because I can remember having to remove, in, in the years we had the program, one student. Mm -hmm. And the teachers were really struggling with him and he just, he just would, not, would not cooperate, would not do anything. And I walked in one day and said, come on with me. And he said, where are we going? And I said, I'm getting you a new schedule because you're not gonna be in this program anymore. And he was like, what? You know, because he kind of thought no matter what he did, he was going to be there. And so I think, you know, you have to draw a line, especially when you're doing programs like that. The kids do need to know, <clears throat> excuse me, that there is, um, you know, there there is a line and they need to be part of that because the other kids suffer otherwise. So, Absolutely. And I know, I'm sure you found that same thing. You know, one, one student can spoil it for everybody else and that's not fair in anybody's book. But yeah, working, I had an opportunity then to work with a lot of different teachers, you know, in different kinds of roles. And it was just, it was really, for me, it was really uplifting to see what they were doing because you have to, you have to love those kind of kids, you know, that are really struggling and the, the rewards are there, but there's also a lot of days when you walk out and think, why in the heck did I ever say I'd do this, you know? But you always have to look at the bright side and then every day is a new day and every kid deserves a chance. So, and I think, you know, the more the parents can be involved, the better. We had nights for parents. We had an awards night at the end, you know, where kids nominated other kids for different kinds of awards throughout the year. Like, you know, I always did my homework award. I mean, they don't have to be big, huge things, but they get a certificate and pizza. That's the most important part. But Food is always yeah. important. And that's how we got parents there most times was food. food. Feed the family and they'll come. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I completely agree with you when you say every day is a new day, because if you don't and aren't able to have that mentality as a teacher in that position, yep. it's just going to wear on you if you drag oh, things the next day. And it, and it wears on the kids, too. If you come in with that mindset where you let something boil over from one day to the next, that relationship's going to be strained. Exactly. And they know if you don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. They know that. Yep. They can feel it. So then transitioning back to your leadership position as an administrator, how would you characterize your leadership style? Well, I always tried to be uh, positive as much as possible and to involve other people to delegate so other people had the opportunities to do things. I didn't want to be in charge of everything. I looked at myself more as a coordinator and an advisor and get other people involved in, in those kinds of roles so that they feel like they truly have a voice. I'm not a top-down kind of leader, and I believe in communication. You know, I would send out a weekly email, you know, with a usually a, a quote and then just some conversation, you know, about, about different things or a question or whatever. But yeah, I, I like to get people involved. And if, when we had staff meetings, it wasn't a 
I'm making speeches, you know, we uh, highlighted different departments. You know, one year we would move, we went down to tech ed, and some teachers had never, ever stepped foot in the tech ed department, didn't even know where it was. And so we held the meeting down there, part of the meeting, stand-up meeting, and then that department served treats for the meeting that that time. And then the next month we'd go to the English department, and then they had an opportunity to talk about what was going on in their department so that people felt like they were a part of the whole thing too. It wasn't just all about here's the rules and here's what we're going to do. So, yeah, I like to get people involved, and I like to delegate responsibilities, and I think that's important. I don't know if... Carla just came up with an idea, and if Miss Pappy is going to listen to this, but if we had meetings in different areas and did some of that stuff, I think she might get a leadership idea from this podcast. <clears throat> and yeah, I just I've heard your name a bunch, like throughout being here at Washington in my three short years, and it's always I always hear the word like you created a good culture and family here. And after hearing you say all that, like, hey, we went to other departments, I'm not shocked at all. I mean, that's a <laughs> like you said, that's a great idea of just making sure everyone knows that we are a family here. And I mean, you feel it when you walk into Washington. Yeah, you really, really, truly do, I think. I know we had a, a teacher who, Jane Morey, she wouldn't mind my saying her name. She's passed away, but she had cancer. And she decided that the kids needed to know what she was going through because she was continuing to teach. And she did. She updated them on her progress. She made them a part of the whole thing so that they knew what was going on. They knew what to expect. And it was she took them on her journey and it was healthy for her and it was healthy for them. So when she and she passed away during the school year so that when that happened, you know, they had a whole history and they had been part of, of her journey doing that. But those are the kinds of things that create a family, I think. And and that's you spend a lot of your day here and you probably see the people that you work with more often sometimes than you see their, your families on a daily basis. And it's important that everybody work together. You're not going to always like every single person or, you know, be able to work with everybody, but you have to make the effort and everybody has to at least respect and honor the other per person's position. For sure. And one thing as coaches and, and you know, people in leadership positions um, always want to learn how to do better. And I want to get your take on having crucial conversations with people, whether it's staff members or whether it's students or whether it's community um, members of the school setting. Um, sometimes those difficult conversations have to be had in order to get points across or tell the truth. How did you handle the crucial conversations that you had to have with uh, people of the Washington community? I think basically always with honesty, but with kindness and understanding, because sometimes it's not that they're trying to be or do what they're doing, but it, it's just being uncomfortable about something or not understanding something or feeling like they have to defend themselves. But it was just, it'd be a one-on-one -on -one -one sit down and in a you know, comfortable place and make it as pleasant as possible and point out the good things as well as the things that you're concerned about. I think you know, everybody has something to offer and something that they do well. Sometimes you have to look a little harder, but uh, you, some, everybody has some strengths as well as some weaknesses. And I think it's making it a, a partnership and what can I do to help them, not just this is what you need to do. And I, I've, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I heard something really good that, you know, you have to be honest, like you said, and you have to tell the truth. And sometimes that truth isn't what the other person wants to hear, which is typically the case when you're having a conversation like mm -hmm. that. But then the, the second fold that I've grown to understand is when you tell them the truth, you have to help them understand how to get where you want them to get to. Right. Don't just give them the truth and say, go figure it out all the time. Right. Like if you're if they're going to leave frustrated because they don't understand, it's your job as a leader to help them understand how to get there. How did you help people, you know, whether it's teachers trying to get to a certain level of mastery or what have you, 
How did you help them on a daily basis grow in their role here at Washington? Well, I'll give you an example of one teacher we had who was struggling, really struggling with classroom management in one particular class and came in and talked to me about it and, and said, I, I'm ready to quit. I'm not going to be a teacher anymore. And she was an outstanding teacher. And I said, what's, you know, what is the problem? So we talked through some of the issues that she was having in this particular class. And I said, you know, we can, we can work on this. And so we called the department chair in to sit down with us as well. And we worked out a schedule and we went in and observed a few classes and just and did some other things, looked at lesson plans and looked at other things that we could do to help. And she worked through all these and it took, it took a while to pull things around, but she pulled that whole class around. And by the end of the, of the quarter, she was enjoying the class and so were the kids. So I think it's, you know, it's a hand in hand project. It's not just her changing, it's you helping her, that person to be able to see the ways that, that they could change and getting some feedback. And the department chair would go in and observe. Um, I went in and observed, but I only did it a couple times. The department chair did it more often because when I'm in there, it sends a different vibe to the kids than it does when the department chair is sitting in there as another teacher. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I think it's just doing whatever you need to do to be able to make it more comfortable for them. And she has since gone on and, and is in leadership positions, you know, in another part of the state and is just doing a fabulous job. And, and she was ready to quit. Sometimes it's just giving them a little bit of vision of what could be instead mm -hmm. of just getting out of the funk of what is. Yeah. It's just giving them a little little hope. Exactly. And we, making it okay for it not to be good for a while. You know, and, and not, you know, not everybody walks in the classroom and you're a stellar teacher on day one. I think every one of us, you know, can <clears> point to a class or a year or a time where you struggled. I think of it in, in coaching with basketball. You know, you wish as a coach you could get in and put your offense in and it'd be beautiful from day one. But yeah. if you're not willing to go through ugly for a while, you're never yeah. going to get to beautiful. Oh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You're not, you, you may never get to beautiful in the end, but you're going to keep trying <laughs> every day. But you can at least try. Well, and sometimes the kids that, you know, that even in the classroom or on a team or whatever, the kids that you expect are going to be great are not so great. And some of the kids that you thought... Well, you know, he'll be average. It's like, whoa, you know, this kid's got a lot of possibility. And it's just bringing all those things out in kids, and you have to do the same thing with teachers. Yeah, absolutely. So, Car or, uh, yeah, Carla, one, one thing we always get to is the circle of courage. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a big, big piece. It's a huge piece of what we do here at Washington High School. And when we started this podcast, we said that we were going to make it an, an integral part of every episode that we have. And with you today, it's super special because um, – I'm going to call you the one that saved the warrior name. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw yeah, it out there. And, <laughs> yeah. And then I'm also going to say, you know, the circle of courage really came from your, um, your brain, your idea of what this could be and what this could turn into um, to, create the, uh, to create a place that is, like you mentioned earlier, a place where everyone belongs. And, and that's where I want to start. So um, what does the circle of courage mean to you and, and how would you describe it to somebody who may not quite understand what it means to wash in high school? Well, the circle of courage is just the center of everything. And in Native American culture, and it definitely is. It represents the whole world, represents life, it represents a person. It's all the things that you need to have and do in order to be successful and to make a difference in the world. And you know, I, when I think about the history, I remember being appalled. And my husband graduated from the old Washington, you know, many, many, many years ago. And he brought out one day his old warrior coat with Willie the Warrior. Have you ever seen Willie the Warrior? No, but Jeff Herbert stated <laughs> Willie the Warrior, and that's the first time I'd ever heard it. Yeah. No, I had never heard it. And I was actually, when I was going through our notes, 
I didn't realize. I always thought that the mascot of Washington was always the Circle of Courage. I did not realize that no. Willie no. the Warrior, or yeah, Willie was yeah. part of it. Thank goodness we got rid of Willie the Warrior. So I'll let <laughs> you was, keep going. Yeah, I mean that was like uh, it talk. That was totally offensive. And I was I was appalled. I said, Oh my gosh, where did that come from? And he said, This was when he's when I went to Washington. This was what was on all the the wear that we had. And you know, and, the, and you know, I don't know if you've been down the pavilion and seen the the Washington floor up there. Mm-hmm. And at one time they had that on display up there too. And I, I, we visited about that with the people who kind of run and Jeff Herbert's one of the people who works up there. And they, they took that out of the display case even, but yeah, that was, to me, that was absolutely appalling. And then we started using for several years, different warrior heads and there would be the big chief, there'd be the feathers, there'd be, but then there was never anything. It was just a symbol that you really looked at. And so one year um, I was visiting, visiting with some of the teachers and I had gone to a workshop at Augustana and had, as had some of them that was, it was Martin Brokenleg and two other professors and it's called Reclaiming Youth at Risk. And they did something like that. They had a, a circle of, of courage, basically. They didn't call it that, but they had a, a symbol of the circle with all, you know, with the words and so on in it and talked about how that is basically you know, what we need to get to for everybody. That's what brings people together. Those are the values that we need to have. And so we thought, well, we can, you know, we should be looking at that. And so we sat down and um, went through the whole thing and decided that, yeah, that was perfect for us and added the two feathers because that symbolizes a warrior in Native American culture is the two feathers going down. And so made that a part of, of what we do. And the kids bought into it 100% because we involved them in the process. And I think that's one of the things that's been important at Washington is whenever we've made major changes, we have involved the students, the parents, the staff, the support staff, not just the teaching staff. Everyone has had a voice. And so everyone then becomes a part of the whole thing instead of it's much different than when somebody says, here, this is what we're going to do. And so I think that's just, that's very, very important. Sorry, what did, what did, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just had this thought. What did that input process look like when you were going through values and trying to find the right fit and you included students? What did that process look like? Well, you know, after we had the lawsuit filed against us and we, Jack Keegan was the, the superintendent at that time and he was amazing. He was so supportive. And we, you know, I said, we need to have a Native American person that we can communicate with, that we can be on the same page with, who can give us some advice. And so we went to Martin Brokenleg, who was the head of American Indian Services in Sioux Falls at the time. And he came over to Washington. And I remember the day we, the three of us walked around and we were talking about this whole thing. And he said, I'm very interested in being a part of this and helping you with, you know, move forward with this to determine what you need to do in order to keep who you are. Because we, you know, my goal was we are always going to be the warriors. And as we were walking around, you know, I said, you know, what drives me crazy about this building is there's all this white wall space, so there should be things on there. You know, look at this hallway down there. And we're standing there and Dr. Keegan said, you're right, something could happen down here. And Martin said, we could look at murals or something. And I said, that would be great, you know, just really fill it up with color and history and whatever. So which is where the idea of the murals actually started. And and he knew someone who could do this, you know, and so it kind of morphed into that. And we brought the gal in who did these. And all those murals were painted from like August or, or early September through January. 
that's all that's all the time she had to do all a few of months. those murals yeah she worked day and night she worked day and night and we provided her with a place to live with food and with all our materials wow. and she literally worked for nothing and that mural wall that went up before the gymnasium gymnasium mural correct well yeah the gymna- gymnasium mural was part of the of the plan, but yeah, those those were done first, and then there was a, a big to do about the the heads in in there, you know. And we contact well Martin Brokenleg, or not Martin Brokenleg, but Art Warbonnet was um, instrumental in that because he could make the contacts with the Native American community, Native American to Native American versus you know a white person trying to do that very same thing. So he contacted uh, the family because the head on the wall you know, really is a real person. And also that person was on the nickel. You know, it's the, it's the same head. But they were right about the idea that some of the things were exaggerated on that, you know, with the larger nose and some of the things. So it was not it was not as uh, attractive probably as it should have been. And so the family saw pictures of it and looked at it, and they uh, responded back and said, we are honored to have our ancestor depicted on the wall. All we would ask is that you soften the features so that they look more real and put the name underneath, Chief Hollowhorn Bear. And then they sent a letter of endorsement for it. So that was checked off the list, got that done. And you know, it was sort of just one thing at a time, but, and you had to put together all of this documentation about uh, suspensions from school for Native American, everything. And so when it was done, it was this, it was like that tall. It was a huge amount of documentation. And we uh, met with people in the community to get community support, including the mayor, you know, some council members, uh, people, Native American people in the community. And we would have student meetings. We had some large group meetings in the auditorium by grade level, but then we also had teachers who led meetings in their classrooms and talked this through and gave all students an opportunity to speak up and to say what they felt. Teachers, the same thing. We had small groups and large groups. And the the section of the murals where you have the, the people who made a positive impact on race relations in the state, those names were chosen in part by the students at Washington. People in the history classes talked about, you know, let's talk about different Native American leaders in the state and what they did. And the students read up on them and groups of them met and talked about it and, and submitted the names that they thought were the five people that should be up there. My, uh, Art Warbonnet made two trips to every single reservation in the state and talked to the elders and the, and the chiefs in the tribes and they submitted the names they felt should be on there and then we combined those two together and there was a lot of overlapping and selected the names from the two lists so that you know they had that input up there and then all of the Martin or Art talked to all of the people on the reservations and got the endorsements from all of the the chiefs and from the tribes and brought that back to us and at the same time we uh, the district provided him with a lot of equipment and he recorded conversations with every one of the elders that he talked to. I think there's uh, there's got to be 50 or more tapes that he made, and they're all in the library. There's copies of them in the library, and they told their stories. They talked about, you know, some of them had been in the the bureau schools, you know, where the they were so poorly treated, and they talked about, you know, the their concern for the young people and what's happening and how the reservations are not positive places many times. So there's a, a lot of really interesting history on uh, many of those tapes. 
And he did, Martin, Art, I keep wanting to call him Martin. Art did a wonderful, wonderful job of making those connections for us. And he had a lot of flack from some other members of the Native American community who did not support, you know, what we were doing. But so he endured, endured it all and really became a partner in the whole thing. And so we, we could not have done it without him. And we could not have done it without the backing of Dr. Keegan and the school board because they were amazing and they were very, very supportive. And we just kept them you know, in, in the know with everything that we were doing and they supported it all. But it became an entire school project with kids and staff all working together to make this happen so that we kept who we were. We redefined what a warrior was. A warrior isn't just a Native American person. You know, there's a warrior in every one of us. And, you know, and that's that's what we are. That's who we are. Wow, that's awesome. That story, that background. And I didn't know those tapes were in the library. So if uh, Mrs. Smith is listening to this, you better get those ready for us to come down to the library to, to get those from off your hands. And there's a little summary of each one. Becky Kelly, you know Becky Kelly? Oh, yes. Yeah, Becky Kelly. Who doesn't and, know Becky Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> Becky Kelly and I, because she's a history person through and through. And we sat down and listened to every tape and wrote a brief summary of every single tape. So there's a little summary with some of the highlights on there so you can pick and choose, you know, things that you really would want to listen to. So Awesome. Very, very cool. So, you know, getting in specifically to belonging, mastery, generosity, and independence, um, what do those four pillars, um, that's a pretty broad question, but I, I'm going to ask it. What do they mean to you and, and how do you think they properly represent, um, you know, at the time, this is, let's just go back 20 years to 2001 when you're, we're picking out these, these pillars of the circle mm -hmm. of courage. And now it's, it's fitting because we look forward to our diversity and how it's only grown and increased in 2021. Belonging in all these aspects are more important than ever in yes. not only because of diversity, but because of our world with the the division with social media or the division for so many different reasons that are going on. What did those mean then and how do they mean even more so now for Washington and for our, our population in general? Well, once once we decided on those things and decided the direction we wanted to move in, we said, well, now we have, to, we have to live it and we have to do it and we have to be it. And so every time we talked about programming, new classes, new courses, where does this fit in was the question. And so everything was built to be part of that so that you, you kept that whole idea of the, of the four pillars in everything you did. So when you talked about like belonging, for instance, okay, there are groups of kids in school who never feel like they belong. How do we address that? What can we do? So the Tribal Club came out of all that. And you know some of the other organizations for kids who struggle with a whole lot of different issues. And you know those things then are represented by people who step forward and say, I'll, you know, I can, I, I'll work with kids on that and we'll, and we'll form a group, we'll do whatever. But that became a real important part of what we did. If you're going to create a new class, or how does it fit into all of those kinds of things? You know, what are kids going to learn about, you know, belonging and mastery and all of those kinds of things? And what does mastery really mean? Does it mean being the best at everything? No, it means being the very best that you can be you know, with the skills and the talents that you have and how all of those things, it's like a puzzle, you know, you put all the people together and you have, you have strength and you have all of those things, but not everybody necessarily has every piece of everything. And how do you help them to become a part of the whole? And so it just became the driving force behind everything that we did. And if somebody came up with a new idea, the question was always, how will that fit into the circle? And, you know, what do we say that that represents for us? 
And it, you know, and parents really bought into it a hundred percent as well, which I think is great. They've been very supportive. I think that's so cool. The question, how does it fit into the circle? You know, I hadn't ever heard mm-hmm. that, but I mean, honestly, with what we do, we can think that in every aspect of how does it fit into our circle. And when you talk about mastery, one of the biggest things that I've grown to learn through doing this, but also hearing experiences, and I think it's important for students, especially, but people for to know is with mastery, you have. It's so important to understand that. Mastery is never something that you're probably going to attain. It's just the you, ma- you master something by striving for it. Yeah, it's the direction you move in. And like you said, with with all that we've done, and it's fun to hear you talk about, um, you know, when you were creating new clubs or creating new ways to make students belong, thinking of the how many 70 plus clubs we have here at Washington mm-hmm. now, we're trying to do that. Yeah. When we make a fishing club yeah. <laughs> for yeah. Mr. Boer, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to, give people a sense of belonging through fishing. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the very cool ways that Washington continues to progress and, and do that for students. And one of the things that, that I started, you know, we have student council, and student council serves a, a great purpose, but it's a certain group of kids, generally speaking, who wind up in student council. And so I started, a, and I think they still do it, as a, just a student advisory group. And the goal was to have kids from every single group in school beyond that council. So we, you know, we had, you know, make sure special ed people got kids who were interested in doing that, you know, kids with all different kinds of backgrounds. And it really, really became um, something I relied on a lot because those, those kids are open, they talk, you know, and things you didn't even know about, you know, they're saying, I, I remember the one boy, he helped with football. He was kind of he, a manager for football and he was in a wheelchair and had uh, some kind of, uh, difficulties with his talking sometimes and he was on the council and he was very outspoken about things and he said I don't know if you know this or not but he said somebody has to help me get on the football field because there's no cutout anywhere out there in the pavement for me or a wheelchair just to roll in there and I said you've got to be kidding me I said I never would have even thought of looking there so I called downtown and you know right away they came out and took care of it you know so they a lot of those things and when we were talking about okay how do you you know when we were talking about drugs and alcohol and, and searching cars you know in the parking lot and is it legal is it not legal you know how do you work that whole thing out and you know adults sat around and talked about it forever we talked about it, the uh, superintendent's cabinet nobody could come up with anything I said let me take it to the kids because they'll come up with things uh, faster than we do so I took it into to student advisory and I said so, so what do you think you know number one I said do you think we should be able to search the cars and they did you know they said yes we think you know if you have a suspicion you should be able to and I said so how do we do that so people know that we have the right to do it and one kid said well it doesn't seem too hard and I said what do you mean he said well you know everybody signs that parking form can't you just put a, a sentence on the bottom that says you know I understand that the administration has the right to search my car if you know if or something to that effect and I said, uh, yeah, we could do that. So I called downtown and said, hey, here's an idea for you. And, he's, and they said, that's so easy. And I said, yeah, exactly. Kids will always find the easy way to, to address it. So, you know, things that I think we just need, we need to use our kids more often because they are, they don't always think about why things won't work. They think about how they will work. Mm-hmm. They're a lot smarter than we are. <laughs> just listening, <clears throat> excuse me, just listening to you guys go back and forth a little bit about the Circle of Courage uh, Tobin, you brought up something that it's 2001 was when this was kind of like created to me, just when you guys were saying that my thought first thought was it feels like it's been around more than 20 years. Like just how it's 
been ingrained in everything. So I think that's just a testament to even before you guys put the four pillars there, they were always somewhat sounds like part of Washington yes. as well. So that's yeah, good observation because I think that's true. Washington has always to me been a very special place. And you know, you take that into account when you interview staff and hire staff. How are they going to fit into this whole thing? You don't necessarily get to choose the students that you have, but you do get to choose the staff. Very true. Very true. And and so going back to uh, that time period, I, I just remember my, um, you know, I'm thinking of the gymnasium, gymnasium mural on the wall, and I remember seeing clips on whatever it was, KSFY, Kelloland, growing up, and I'd see a basketball game, and I'd see, a, you know, just for a split, split second. And then my first, um, my first experience in the gym was in 2008. We came down to a basketball team camp while I was in high school, and, and we got to play in here. And I just remember seeing it up on the wall and just thinking, I have no idea what that means, but it is so cool. Um, and just take yourself back to that time period and going through that whole probably whirlwind of a time period where you're being an administrator for all these operations that are going on within the building. And then you have this other task of this process with the mural wall and the gymnasium and a lawsuit and all this stuff. How did you manage it all? <laughs> I spent a lot of time here. <laughs> but um, I, I, I was fortunate because I had a great staff and they were supportive and they, you know, you put them to work too because they need to be a part of the process in order to buy into it. And, and people were great. And I had two really good assistant principals who stepped up and because I spent a lot of hours on this project. And so they picked up any of the slack, you know, in other areas that we could do. And, and that, you know, that made it very possible and a very supportive family and understood that I was not going to be around much and that helped a lot so you don't have to feel guilty about everything but yeah it was just it was a team effort it was a team effort and people really pitched in and did what they needed to do because they believed in it I'm just <clears throat> looking over my notes here of the timeline and everything with this so just to give me an like you were talking about how it was art right was that his name art art was going, yeah mm -hmm. he was going back and forth with all this and you said you were getting other supplies or other information from other people, roughly like how long did this whole thing take? Like w from when you, like when the lawsuit started to when the mural came up, like roughly what was that time frame? Cause it, to me, everything you described sounds like it would take like a whole year or more. But <laughs> I mean, looking at this, it almost looks like a few months maybe. It was, yeah, basically the, the semester, you know, okay. from the time that school started, it was about the time that the lawsuit was filed, and so then it, because it, it was right before homecoming, as I remember. I mean, you know, you're all planning homecoming, and then you get this fax. It's like, what? And uh, we finished up in, in Jan January, I believe, we had the, the program and the dedication. So, yeah, it was, it was not a real long period of time, which is better yeah. because, you know, once you, if you things stretch out too long, everything just the whole momentum gets lost I think and this way we had the momentum going and we were on a mission and we could see the end and we knew where we wanted to be so so okay kind of wrapping things up and fast forwarding a little bit now you're in a different stage of you're looking back on all these experiences and now you've got um, you know grandchildren here at Washington you yep. get to still be part of it you're, you're a great grandma as well and um, 
What is your perspective like looking and coming to volleyball games to watch your granddaughter and coming to basketball and football games to watch your grandson and just being part, showing up today wearing, wearing a Warrior Pride shirt, you know? <laughs> um, what, what's it like being kind of a community member and having that outside perspective now? At, how proud are you of this place? I am exceedingly proud of, of Washington High School. I, I think it's the best school in town. I think it's the best school anywhere. And I, you know, I'm just very pleased. I would have been exceedingly angry if my children, grandchildren had gone anyplace else. When my daughter graduated from here, my son-in-law graduated from here, and all my, my grandkids will. And yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm proud of what it's become. I'm proud of the people here. And, you know, there are a lot of them I don't know anymore, but I see the whole continuation of, of what was good, what was good about this place. And there's a continuity here that I think maybe doesn't exist everywhere. And people are, there's a, there's a pride and just a sense of ownership that you're really a part of something special. And I think kids get that, and they get that from the teachers and the administration. And, you know, there, there are always going to be challenges. And very likely down the road, there may be a challenge once again to the name warrior. Who knows? Because that seems to come up periodically. But I think no matter what, you're in a good position to always defend who you are and what you are. And you know, I'm just very, very proud of this place. And it's, it's fun to come back in. It feels strange sometimes because things are a little different and I, I don't know everybody. And, but yeah, I, I feel good coming here. The, the people may be different, but the walls remain the same. And um, yeah. I'm sure that you can't step foot in this place without somebody stopping you for conversation. <laughs> True. Reminiscing on, on, you know, good times or good memories or maybe maybe tough times and tough memories. But looking back on it, I'm sure that that is um, all those kind of go into the pot and they stir up. And then you look back and you're like, you know what? Some of those tough times, I'd go back and do them again if I got to uh, Absolutely. You know, go back and live through all the good times as well. So. Yeah. Well, Carla, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so great for us to get to learn. And I think that's what Grant and I would say is best about every episode is we get to learn from the people that come on. You know, we always say that we want to uh, um, make voices last and make stories known through this podcast. And um, I think that your voice is going to live on for a long time here because of not only um, what you did while you were here, but what the Circle of Courage continues to do through you for years to come here at Washington. And like you said, everybody's a warrior when you come here. And um, at the beginning, some people's journey is longer to figure out where they're fit or how they belong here. But the best thing is, is that, like you said as well, our staff is second to none. And we find a, a, we find a way to make those students fit into the grand scheme of what we try to do here. Absolutely. So just thank you so much for taking the time. Grant, any one last comments before we get off? No, <clears throat> I just want to thank you for coming in. I've, like I said, I've heard your name a ton, and it's nice to finally be able to meet you. Um, and actually, at the beginning, I never mentioned it, but I actually started my teaching career at Whittier. So when you said that, I was really, I was like, All yes, right. another Whittier Wolverine. So that was awesome. But yes, seriously, thank you for coming in and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.